The Athletic. It's MotoGP team launch season, which means a lot of unveiling of bikes that aren't actually that different to last year, because we'll see all that in testing. A bit of glitz, some fancy lights, some music, and for Simon Patterson at the moment, a lot of driving across Italy, visiting several teams in quick succession. This is a slightly different episode of the Race MotoGP podcast. I'm Matt Beer catching up with Simon uh, during his trip across a kind of Ducati triple header from Grassini to a very spread out Ducati event and then to VR46. And this podcast podcast will catch up with everything that's gone on at Ducati and the VR46 launch as well but we're starting between those two it's a Tuesday evening as we record this and Simon is fresh from playing around in with Audis on ice with MotoGP superstars he he opted out of the nature walk and some kind of sunrise skiing today but you have done a little bit of quite cool stuff during this trip as well as just covering long distances yeah I mean Ducati's uh sort of team launches have been both very kind to us in that they've put three of them on in five days so that one trip to Italy has covered all of them but they've also been quite disorganized in that they've done one in Riccioni on the eastern on Adriatic coast one in the mountains in the north and then another one back in Riccioni again so it's been a lot of driving back and forth across Italy but it's been worth it we um we we obviously had everything at the Grassini launch. Then I jumped in the car and drove five hours up into the mountains to Madonna di Campione I've butchered that. I'm not even going to try. Which um, <laughs> is right up at the Dolomites near Bolzano. Uh, and Ducati have literally taken over the town for like four days of uh, launch extravaganza. Where we've had all sorts of chances to do everything from ski races to hooning around on uh, Audi electric uh, GT cars with 650 horsepower to Frozen Lake. So it's been fun, been entertaining. And also, this is an excellent warm-up for the slightly even more insane travel you've got coming up after this Italian triple header, where you head to Trackhouse for its American launch via basically every city in the world, and then go straight to Sepang as well. So we're kind of crashing you into 2024 with um, several weeks away from home, covering an awful lot of ground by road, air, and um, skis. I I worked it out, uh, and I wish I hadn't. Uh, I did like 230 hours of flying last season over the course of the entire year. And this year I've done 40 hours before the season even starts. Oh, wow. Uh, taking us up until the, the first test in Qatar. Wild. I was, you know, on one hand, sorry about that, but also thanks for doing it because it is worth you being in these places. And <laughs> no, we're really- it, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Launches are, launches are great fun, actually, because they're, they're a chance normally to have a bit more relaxed time with some of these guys, um, especially, especially this Ducati one that we're going to talk about now, because like I said, it's taken them four days to take the covers off a few motorbikes. <laughs> yeah, a few motorbikes, but they weren't actually revealing the most exciting thing as well. well. We'll talk about some of the stuff you've been up to during the week with the riders and the team but let's start talking about what they actually revealed which was more a case of what they talked about revealing in the future than what they actually took the covers off Uh, coming from a more car racing background i'm very used to formula one launches where they hide the key bits till testing and you just get a kind of approximation of the real car MotoGP started moving more into that territory since aero's been a thing it's a they've got more visible things on the bike that they want to keep under wraps for longer so what we saw on stage at that part of the Ducati launch was pretty similar to what we'd seen on the track last season. But uh, Ducati genius Gigi Delinia made reference to extremely different fairings to come. And they certainly weren't in evidence on the bike that was on stage, but we're expecting to see that kind of thing cropping up when testing starts next month. Now, and all this stuff is so secret that the riders Pecco Bagnaia and Ania Bastianini haven't actually got a clue what's coming either. They've not even seen it but they've got a few ideas about what it might involve. Let's listen to what they said during the press conference after the launch. We haven't seen the, the new aero design of the bike, but, uh, well, it's a very important part of the bike now because it uh, um, depends on, also from the riding style. Uh, me and Becco, the last year, we have chosen a, a different solution compared to, to Pramac and also uh, probably can happen this year, no? Because uh, um, yes, depend from the right style. But uh, we haven't seen the this solution. Really curious also me to to see how is it the the, the bike in Malaysia. Yeah, I didn't see it, but uh, people inside the team said to me that it's it's good but different. 
and uh, our guest, my guest was to, to have a handling drive but a Sudan force. So it was <laughs> a bit of everything. Uh, but I think they, they did a good job. So, of course, Ducati was the team that invented the whole concept of MotoGP Aero, but it's actually been a few years since it's been Ducati doing anything innovative, really, isn't it, Simon? It's been KTM and Aprilia that have actually been setting the pace on this front for a while. Ducati got so far ahead of everyone else with Aero that I'm not going to say they, they, they took their finger off the post, but they concentrated their resources elsewhere. They've been working on ride height devices. They've been working on a new engine for this year that the riders are super excited for. And in the middle of all this as well, they've lost a few key members of staff to other factories that have been poaching them. We know that their former head of Aero, for example, has been poached uh, to Yamaha and he's off to work for them now where arguably his services are much more needed than they were at Chikari. Yes, But it's meant that the bike has it's evolved, but it hasn't been making the massive steps that we've seen with, say, KTM, who've built a, a huge F1-style rear wing and have been working on perfecting that with the help of Red Bull Racing's F1 expertise or Aprilia, who you know have built this, this big ground-effect fairing that has a shelf you could put a row of vases on along the side of the bike. Um, Ducati haven't really been keeping up with that. They've been experimenting with it here and there, toying with it, but they've not been doing a huge amount. It's not been innovative. It's been minor, minor improvements on what they already had. So the fact that there's something big coming is quite interesting. And I'd imagine it is going to be something both fairly substantial and something that Michele Pirro, the test writer, has dialed in pretty well already so that we've got a, you know, they've got a fairly good understanding that this is something that's going to work when it goes on the bike because we've seen plenty of aerodynamic mods come along in the past that have appeared for a few days at a test and then disappeared off to the dustbin at the back of the garage. But I feel like everyone from, from Delinia to the riders are so excited about what's coming here that, I'd, I'd be very surprised if it turns out to be something that doesn't work. It's interesting you mentioned Pirro as well, because we're going to see less of him in the coming year with the concessions kicking in and Ducati being a lot more limited in what it can do around wild cards, testing tyres, where it can test compared to some of the others. Now, KTM and Aprilia, under the concession system, I don't feel like they actually gain a huge amount, um, but Ducati can't afford to be standing still given how close those two have got in aero design and honda and yamaha i i think they massively massively benefit from what concessions gives them in terms of what they can develop when they can develop it where they can test who they can test with it's a huge leg up to those two struggling factories who are struggling more through their misadventures it's not like they lack resources and expertise they've got things wrong now they've got a massive chance to put that put things right and I can understand Ducati knowing those concessions were coming and going, right, actually, we could be in trouble. Maybe not, certainly not this year, but a couple of years down the line, unless we start going back to the drawing board and moving another step ahead with our aero because we can't be complacent. It's very telling that essentially every conversation that I've had this weekend with uh, Paco Bagnaia in particular, that, that's been about motorbikes as opposed to you know, a few more casual encounters, um, every, every conversation about the season that we've had, he has referred to the concessions and has hinted that they worry him a little bit. I think even more than Honda, Yamaha, because Yamaha aren't a million miles away. They just had a really, really bad season last year. But they're not, you know, by any stretch of the imagination in the same worrisome spot that Honda's in. And they're definitely not in the position that, say, Ducati was in in 2014. So yeah, true. they don't need a huge amount to get a leg up. Um, they will absolutely be the first manufacturer I expect to lose concessions or at least to, to move up a level in this new tiered concession system that we have. Um, I understand why, why Bagnaia has a bit of concern because if they embrace these, then they're going to benefit from them, both manufacturers. You know, we, we've heard a rumor that Honda has scheduled 22 tests this season wow. that they can test essentially unlimited. Uh, the teams that, that have been gifted these concessions, it's almost like they've been warned, you better use this. You know, we've, we've really <laughs> given you something here and you better use it. Because we've seen, we've seen them in the past be given advantages and not take them. Um, you know, especially Yamaha and their succession of test riders who just ended up being signed up to sit at home. Oh, yeah. So true. 
it, it, it shows promise. It shows that they want to close the gap to Ducati. And I, I think they have the resources and the tools to do it this season. So I understand why Bagnaia has got a bit of concern. Doesn't give much chance for Ducati to correct a mistake either, does it? We've we've had we had the engine spec thing a couple of years ago where Ducati was making very last minute decisions about which engine spec would go in which bike, and Aero as well. I, I'm thinking back to the start of 2020 when Honda was swapping fairings frantically with Mark Marquez before committing to basically the old package because it ran out of time to make the new one work. You know, Ducati gets most things right. That's why it dominates MotoGP at the moment, but. If this aero package is a bit too radical, doesn't work in testing, and it has to either stick with it and hope for the best or abandon it and go back to something else, then Ducati doesn't have all the chances to make up grounds that the others are going to have during the season if they've got something that they need to tinker with a bit more or swap to and fro a little bit. I think there's a good reason why the first thing to get right for 2024 was the engine and why that is the bit that arrived in Valencia, you know, really, like sorted that they're all very happy with what they were given there in the 24 package there um i think the the arrow it's hard to tell if they're leaving it to the last minute because they've been working on it until the last minute or if they're leaving it until the last minute because it's so good that they don't want anyone else to see it because <laughs> uh, there is absolutely a, you know there's industri- not industrial espionage that goes on in moto gp but people people copy each other's ideas that's no secret and I think that Delinia doesn't want anyone to see it too soon. Yeah, maybe that's the maybe that's the reason that it's being kept to Valencia or to to Sepang, Sorry, uh, maybe Michele Pirro's been you know riding all winter using something very very different, and he absolutely loves it. And he says that Paco and Ine is going to love it as well. Um, we'll find out in Sepang, I guess. But um, it, it is it was. One of the things that was quite telling um, about that, though, was that an Air Bastinini hinted that maybe not all the Ducatis will have it. And I don't know if that's because of production restrictions and, and you know, how quickly they're going to have to turn it around should the factory guys like it in Sepang or if it's something else. But um, it's another interesting element of the story that we're going to have to watch and see as we get into bikes on track again. If we turn up to the first round and Banyaya and Bastianini have got a massive fancy new wing and Jorge Martin hasn't got it, that's going to be um, a cue for some more rage, isn't it? <laughs> or alternatively, if we get to the first round and Jorge Martin is using the fancy new arrow and Paco Bagnaya and Anaya Bastianini roll out in the 2023 spec wings. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Works both yeah, ways. Absolutely. <laughs> which, yeah. which is essentially what happened with the engines a few years ago. Yeah, I was so, going to say, Martin knows that situation painfully well, doesn't he? So Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And, and yeah, we're banging on about aero and we're doing it with some excitement. And I know for a lot of listeners, and I think us as well, deep down, we're not the biggest fans of what aero has done to MotoGP. Frankly, it also makes the bikes look pretty ugly. But I think for me, my stance on this, it's here now. It's here to stay, at least for the time being, probably quite a long time. I don't see a lot of appetite among manufacturers to be pulling it back, particularly. They may as well go all in while it's here. I'd rather they were at least innovating, doing things that we can actually see. I've got quite bored of F1 teams announcing a, an eye-catching tweak and then you're just squinting at it going, ah, what is that? There's like a, another, a third small hole in the thing that previously had two small holes. Whereas with MotoGP, we're still at the phase where it's like massive thing the size of a garden shed on the on the, on the the rear seating unit. It's, it's sort of proper visible innovation and i just think if you're gonna go down that road dive in two-footed with it and and see where it takes you and i actually think pictures of pre-aero MotoGP bikes look strangely dated now oh i know i wouldn't say that i'd happily go back to the pre-aero days <laughs> but but i i get what you're saying um i think it's because we're working with engineers who are essentially creating a whole new field yeah you know the, there is no motorcycle aero there's only f1 aero uh, in, in this regards and what we're seeing is teams who started out doing things the way that it would have been done in F1 are now going crazy like no one in F1 is running the stegosaurus fins on the seat units yeah. you know the tail of the bike like like all the MotoGP or half the MotoGP bikes are right now but it's because they're angled so they work better at lean which is not something you have to consider in an F1 car yeah. so there's, there is there's a huge amount of room here for uh for development, for innovation, and 
you know, yeah, you, you are right. I don't love it. I don't even like it. But while we've still got it, we might as well do something fun with it. So let's see, you know, a Ducati that's got like wings that wouldn't look out of place in a 747 or something because because they can. Yeah. If we get to a point where every race genuinely is really, really processional, and I know for a lot of bike fans, they have been relatively recently. I would say, again, having been a car racing fan initially until I had my MotoGP epiphany in the mid-2000s, you haven't seen processional racing in MotoGP yet. You honestly haven't. You've seen slightly worse racing, but racing can get a lot more processional than this. Don't don't panic yet. If we get to that point where dirty air is really destroying MotoGP, then yes, please drop the wings off. So you mentioned at the start, Simon, that you've been at the Ducati event for quite a while. Between arriving Sunday night and leaving Wednesday morning, it becomes effectively a four-day event with about an hour of actual business around launching the bikes, which weren't even the real bikes in, in the middle of it. Um, that might sound like a massive jolly. It might sound like a slight waste of time. It also sounds quite fun. And from what you're saying to me earlier, it's kind of partly Pekka Banyai's idea that it's happened like this. It's it's all of the above. Um, I Yeah. <laughs> It's it's kind of got to the point now, have like towards the end of day three, where I would quite like to be at home instead. But also, I've just been hooning a electric supercar around a nice lake, so I can't complain, can I? Um, yeah, I, I had a good catch up with Paco Bagnaia earlier, and he was telling me that he grew up obviously a massive Valentino Rossi fan, a massive Ducati fan, and he used to watch every year the you know whenever Sky News was reporting live from. Uh, what was then the Vroom event where Ferrari and uh, Ducati, both sponsored by Philip Morris International, Marlborough, used to come to an Italian ski resort and spend a week doing a, a massive launch event for, for both cars and bikes. And whenever he signed to the factory team, he kind of decided that he wanted a Vroom of his own. So he started badgering Ducati boss Claudio Domenicale, who eventually conceded because Ducati is full of ski fans and they also saw an opportunity for a few days skiing in the mountains as well. And it they, they brought it back, not quite to the extent that it used to be, um, from some of the stories I've heard about what cigarette money used to be like at, <laughs> at the Vroom days. You know, there's tales of like, like here there's, there's an opportunity for us to ski sort of every morning, every day. Uh, but at Vroom, if you turned up like me and couldn't ski, then you were just given a private ski instructor for the week. Oh wow! Yeah, like there's and and you know you got your own personalized ski kit that you could take home with you when you were done. And the the stories about it are wild, um, and just how much budget there was to spend yeah. back in the day. So it's it's not quite that here, but it's still really really cool. Uh, and it turns out that the reason we're in Madonna in this village is because. It's where Audi do a lot of their winter car testing. So they have a presence in the village anyway. So that kind of links into, you know, Audi owned Ducati Group coming here and and really taking over. Um, we've been trying to kind of piece it together over the past few days. And we think there's about 20 hotels that there's people staying in all across this little ski resort because we've got people stuck in everywhere, essentially. Um, we've had ski races. We've had... Uh, we've had like trips up the last night I, I got carted up a mountain in a ski mobile to dinner in a mountain refuge like 800 meters above the village in the middle of nowhere completely inaccessible apart from by cable car and, and ski mobile it's, it's been a really cool thing to experience um, and you know fair play to Ducati for putting it on because uh, while it's long and, and a little bit tedious at times, it's also a really good chance to connect with the people in the factory. Um, you know, you you end up in a cable car with Paolo Chibati and you talk about what his winter has been like and you end up in the queue for uh the queue for, for uh starters at the buffet with next to to Peko Bagnaya and we had a conversation about wedding planning. Um, it's it's nice to be able to do that little bit of relationship building and be a bit more relaxed than you are on a race weekend. Yeah, I think you people obviously see the press conferences and hear from the media scrums and that sort of thing. And that's riders often at their most guarded. 
And it is nice that MotoGP is still a world, world where you cross paths with the riders and team bosses in other circumstances as well. And what is what gets discussed there is is obviously off the record, and there's an understanding of that. But there's a human side to this as well. We're not kind of just going th- going through your week to go look what our journalist is getting up to and all the great showbiz friends we have. It's I really like the fact that the events like this run just being a kind of you get bussed in, you see the riders from a, dif- a distance on stage in an event, and then you will go away again, having not really connected on any meaningful level. You get to see the human side as well. And it's a reminder that these are actual proper people who are doing this job that we spend our time writing and talking about. The, the other thing about it too is, in my experience, the better relationship you have with the riders in particular and the more effort you put into you know, getting to know them, not, not as friends, but just as, as people that you work with, um, the easier it is sometimes to then ask tough questions, yeah, uh, because you you can you can phrase it in a way that you know that they'll understand that you're not trying to be malicious or trying to be deliberately argumentative or you know you you can you can kind of put something to them in a way that you know that they'll understand as opposed to you know the, the alternative where I heard a journalist today uh, I overheard a journalist today in an interview with uh, Anea Bastianini, someone who doesn't come to that many races, um, asking Anea who was going to be riding his bike next year. Would it be Jorge <laughs> Martina? Would it be Mark Marquez? Oh, that's tactful. And like he, he, well, he, he just essentially immediately shut down the interview. Yeah. He had no more interest in talking to him uh, after that. Whereas the, there was a way to ask a question about 2025 without it being that brutal, without it being that on, you know, that, that direct... And it's through building relationships with the guys that you're able to do that. You're able to kind of phrase it in a bit more of a joking manner or ask it in a different way because you know that they'll, you know, even understand the language that you use because some of them don't speak perfect English. And sometimes you have to phrase things using, you know, words that you know that they'll understand what you mean or you can't be subtle or you can't, uh, you know, use metaphor with some of them because you know it'll be lost on them. all of that comes all of that understanding comes from being able to do things like this and spend time with them you know bumping into them in airports um catching them late in the evening in the paddock all of those little encounters just help you round out your relationship with them and and make you a bit better at your job i think yeah yeah absolutely and and, um gives you little insights like the time you popped up in our work chat and mentioned that the MotoGP theme tune was growing on you after you'd heard a, a certain world champion whistling it in a toilet. So you get valuable yeah. insights off the record. I, I feel like you learn a lot about people when you hear them do things like that. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> One of the other reasons this Ducati event was so big and sprawling was because it was launching three teams um, rather than the usual two. So it wasn't just Ducati's dominant MotoGP effort and dominant World Superbike effort, Ducati has now got an off-road division for the first time, wandering into the KTM-dominated territory of motocross and pinching some very important KTM people to do it as well. Um, I'm a motocross beginner. I suspect our audience will be quite split between people who know everything that's going on in that world and are also kind of new to it as well. I've only followed MotoGP or just circuit-based motorbike racing. Why is what Ducati's doing here such a big deal? And it's got MotoGP implications too, actually, hasn't it, with how it's how it's staffed? Yeah, so what they're doing, um, essentially, they're, they're coming into motocross the way that KTM came into MotoGP. They're coming into, and, and it's quite ironic that motocross is KTM's land. That's their territory. But Ducati are coming into it with a big project, with big aspirations, with big names attached to it. And there is no doubting that their intention is to win. Um, They're doing that by building a bike that we we don't even think the bike's going to be on sale to the public until the end of next year. And when it does, it's going to be like the most expensive motocross bike ever built. (laughs) This is, this is the motocross equivalent of the V4, V4R road bike. It's going to be super high end, Um, but they're, they're super serious about it. They've moved long time Ducati, stalwart and, and MotoGP team boss Paolo Ciabatti over to head up the entire project, uh, partly because Paolo is a massive motocross fan, uh, partly because he's the right person to, to lead it from within Ducati, I think. Um, and, you know, to show another way of showing how serious their intent is that they, they, the one of the greatest of all times in the motocross world has been Italian racer Tony Cairoli, uh, who retired from racing at the end of 2022, 
after spending his entire career with KTM, went on to become KTM's factory team manager in motocross. And then Ducati came in and said, hey, Tony, do you want to come and be our test rider? And now he's a Ducati employee. Um, so they're, they're being, yeah, they're, they're taking this really, really seriously. The bike looks beautiful. It also somehow still manages to look a little bit like a Ducati, even though it's a motocross bike and very different from anything they've ever done in the past. And yeah, I mean, it, it's it's going to, I think, pique the interest in motocross for people that have maybe traditionally not been massive motocross fans. Like, I'm, I'm not going to start tuning into rounds of the Italian Championship where they're going to be racing it in 2024 to see what happens. But if it's at the first round of the Supercross Championship next season, then you damn well bet that I'm going to be there to see what happens with that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it also shows the position Ducati's got itself in as well to be stepping into new territory in such an emphatic fashion you know 10 10 years ago when it was still struggling in MotoGP when it wasn't on this run it it going to something else would have been interesting and a quirky story but now it's like Ducati's coming this really means business expect to be dominated I, I, I spoke earlier with Ducati boss Claudio Domenicali and two of the points that he made was that this is now the 10th anniversary of, of Ducati being bought by Audi and that big injection of capital that came as you know, as being part of that group. And this is also the first year where they've made, or 2023, I should say, was the first year where they made a billion euros. Wow. So they've they've ticked a big box. And, you know, he told me he's been with the company since 1981. He says whenever he started, they were like a, a niche artique, uh, artisan, like boutique motorcycle yeah. manufacturer. And they've just, you know, he sounds quite shocked talking about it, even though he's the guy that's been responsible for a huge part of it, of how they've grown into a, a company that is still very, very much made in Italy, but is a, a proper global brand now who, you know, absolutely lead the world in terms of circuit racing and who I'm not really surprised for out to do the same in the off-road world. This is probably a, a silly slash unfair question, but is there any danger or hope for Ducati's rivals that branching out into something new and expanding into another major program this could be a distraction for what it's doing in MotoGP and Superbikes. It sounds like it's got more than enough resources for that not to be the case, but you, you never know when a, when a brand starts doing something different. I think the fact that if, if it had been run as a project from within Ducati course in the traditional sense, I would have said, yeah, maybe. But the fact that they've, they've kind of created this Ducati course off-road branch and then immediately appointed Chibati as head of it makes me think that they're going to try and keep this a, a relatively separate pipeline. Um, the other thing to remember is, you know, they, they've essentially done all the legwork in building the bike to go racing with it, even though there's obviously still more to come. And they've done all that while winning both MotoGP and World Superbikes for two years in a row. True. Um, there's also there's a, a 250 motocross bike coming as well, which it sounds like is is pretty much a finished product that they're just not ready to unveil yet. So they've done a huge amount of the legwork, and we've not even noticed, <laughs> which is which is probably not great if you're a Ducati rival in MotoGP, is it? But there you go. So, quick update from uh, on the road from, from me. For once, I'm on the podcast of my own, which feels quite strange. Um, I'm currently sitting in the motorway services between uh, between Imola and Misano, if, uh, if you know your Italian race circuit geom geography. Um, I've stopped here because the, the VR46 team have organized some debrief sessions on Zoom for any journalist that can't make it to Riccioni today. So uh, just had a quick catch up with, with Marco Bezzecchi and Fabio DiGiantonio. Um, heard a little bit from them, but hopefully we'll, we'll hear a bit more both uh, both during the launch once I get there at about 3 p.m., two hours from now. Um, so once once we hear them on stage and then probably a little bit afterwards as well, we'll, uh, we'll get a little bit more time with them and hopefully maybe even a little bit of time with Valentino Rossi if he, if he bothers to turn up and then... Uh, Val and I will Val will join me and we'll give you guys a bit of an update on everything we learned from that launch as well. So we've had an unveiling of a basically identical 2024 livery, Grishini, and a subtly altered 2024 livery, Ducati. 
And now for something completely different. The new VR46 Ducatis are here and, well, let's just say if you tuned out in Valencia and then tuned in for the first time in the Qatar opener after hibernation or whatever, you'd go, hey, what's this team? Simon, you were at the launch of Valentino Rossi's team's third season, or you could say fourth, or you could say 3.5, but I guess I guess they're using third, presumably. No, um, they're, they're actually using 10th. Oh, well, because okay. of the Moto 2 and Moto yeah, 3 days just to confuse enough. things yeah, nicely but, the, but yeah the premier class branch but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so a lot of chat there a lot of vibes to unpack primarily because no new necessarily data on motorcycle running but before any of that business and this is as always great audio content what do you make of the new bike do you know the, the, the irony of this whole situation is that you listed the three bikes we've seen unveiled yet and how one's the same, one's changed slightly, and one's totally different. Mm. All three bikes have been designed by the same person. They're all Alder Alder Trudy. Trudy creations. Right, all right. So, so yeah. Um, I mean, it it it's one of those, the VR46 bikes is, whenever the covers come off, my first thought was, that is a lot. Yeah. Because that neon yellow white kind of brawn f1 yeah almost in 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 like how yeah how almost quite unique it is brawn f1 if brawn f1 had sponsors which it yeah yeah it really did not yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's totally different to anything else we've got in MotoGP and anything we're likely to get this year there's a lot of color going on in it but i think it's one of those liveries that's going to look better on the track than it does standing still i think whenever we see it running on track together um especially with the the almost all white leathers that the two guys have got, including uh, including a switch from Alpine Stars to Dinesi for DiGiantonio, now that he's with Valentino Rossi's uh, team. Um, I think the whole package is going to look really well together on track. Quite looking forward to seeing it. Um, the, the photographs, the studio shots kind of make it look very bold, like a big statement. But whenever Marker-ish. you look at some of the other shots that they've... Exactly. Whenever you look at some of the other shots they've sent out where it's a bit more dynamic, um, it looks really good. So, yeah, I think on the track, and especially as every bike does under the floodlights in Qatar, uh, the first round of the season in a few weeks' time, it's going to look really good. And I like that it's different and that we've got something, you know, people always complain about teams launching the same old, boring, yeah. slightly revised color scheme. And we can certainly say that VR46 have not done that. Yeah, I, I can't really complain about Grishini keeping the the same color scheme because that color scheme is baller. It's not, I didn't I didn't mind the VR46 one from the from the previous year. I thought it was quite decent in some ways. But if, if there was one I was going to trade for this season, it was going to be that one over the Grishini one. I think the Grishini one is just, just amazing. Uh, this one, I... I also have to see it on the track and on the on the TV shots. I'm I'm glad they've done it. I'm glad they they've done this massive departure, but it is also a bit like yellow markerish. It is genuinely a lot to take in, especially from the studio shots. And you know, you sometimes look at it and you're like, is this a is this a Moto Two thing? Did you guys do a Moto Two or a Moto E thing? Does this really look like a Moto GP bike? But you know, we'll get used to it. It's gonna be it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be nice. Uh, I and it's you know it's it's i guess my only slight gripe is then i would have liked Gian antonio to actually have tested in the vr 36 colors <laughs> at the end of last season yeah. just so we had that for the basically for the mental picture bank because it's always fun to have new riders and in, in familiar colors whereas now it's it's a very new team the the title sponsor is pertamina enduro Pert- pertamina is the indonesian state oil a state-owned oil company and enduro is some type of oil that i know nothing about but yeah. you know something like uh, that and, and of course pertamina are also the the naming right sponsor of the mandalika circuit of course so it's going to be that's going to be a fairly intense race for the vr46 guys whenever they get there um they're they're trying desperately to bully cajole or bribe valentino rossi into coming to that race let me tell you valentino rossi who you did not immediately clock as being there also because i don't think i've ever seen valentino rossi in this particular getup like suited and looking very i don't want to say corporate so much but like not looking like a motorcycle rider necessarily retired bike riders don't dress like this normally 
he did. Um, so I didn't clock he was there immediately because I was standing at the back of the room and he was sat in the front row. And you figured it out before I did because you were looking at the TV pictures. Yeah. Um, I will say that in typical valet style, the minute he got off stage, he ditched the suit jacket and was back into his like <laughs> typical post-retirement flannel shirt combo. That's all yeah. you ever see to see him in these days. Yeah, well, I mean, we might as well t- talk a little bit about the launch because that's obviously the the most important part. Ranking the launches, as uh, it was, it was a, a more, I guess, more traditional one than the slightly bombastic Rashini one. I think a, a more a more corporate sort of approach, but obviously with a new title sponsor, a huge title sponsor, an Indonesian flavor. I spent all of it trying to decide whether I'm on board with go- what's going on or not because it was like part Italian, part English, mostly in Italian, which. Uh, in, in my ignorance, didn't didn't help me very much to understand what was going on. And then at a certain point, the title sponsor was it the title sponsor? Or was it? It was somebody. It was the title sponsor. The, the, the yeah. president of yeah. Yeah. Pre- yeah. Presented um, Marco Bezzecchi and Fabio Giannantonio with items of clothing, and I immediately my first was like, oh, I just, I don't like when that happens in launches. It really gives it a a weird sort of vibe that I don't particularly personally enjoy. And then they unfurled it. It was like these really cool jackets, super cool jackets that they should have just, I don't know, they should have made the racing suits in that style. They were really, really cool jackets. Again, great, great visual content for a podcast. Sorry about that. I I will say, I I will say that uh, when we, when we uh, sort of went for a few drinks afterwards and a bit of something to eat, um, Bez was in his new jacket because he absolutely loves it. So he's like, he's got a new favorite item of clothing. It's a great jacket. I, I really, really, really enjoyed enjoyed the look of it. Um, you've spoken to both riders in person, and so have I virtually through the magic of computers and the internet. Um, if those were indeed the riders, because of course, technology now, they might have been AI. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> we'll get to some of the specifics of those chats, but my first impression was. Did it surprise you to hear that Fabio Di Antonio, the new VR46 signing, replacing Luca Moreni, who's, of course, at, at Honda this year, did it surprise to hear you he hasn't trained with the Rossi Academy yet? No, not at all. Um, I think they, they've very clearly drawn a line that says you're a VR46 rider, but you're not a VR46 Academy member. Um, and I, knowing, knowing Digia a little bit and knowing that he can be quite stubborn and bullish um yeah. i can kind of almost imagine him saying well if i'm not an academy writer i'll do my own thing thanks yeah uh he kind of hinted that that it's it's not mandatory he's welcome to join them if he wants <laughs> but he's kind of not been told he has to i think yeah. he's um maybe feeling a bit like uh but like the odd one out a bit of the black sheep of the yeah. the whole affair at the minute so he's maybe making a bit of a point uh, plus, he um, he lives in Rome, yeah. So he's quite a distance away from yeah, Tavulia yeah. to sort of rock up for a, a Sunday afternoon uh, flat track event. I would imagine his first time on track with most of the academy will be next week, yeah. uh, because I have heard now um, heard this week that basically all the Ducati MotoGP riders are heading to Hereth next week for uh for a track day together on Panagali road bikes yeah as they have done a few times in the past so um i would quite like to be a fly on the wall the first time that mark marquez and marco bezecchi in particular kind of bump into each other at the breakfast queue given the way that they ended last season yeah. but uh that'll be digia's first time to to kind of i'd imagine integrate a little bit with the likes of franco morbidelli marco bezecchi you know paco bagnaia of course as well but he did do the hundred kilometers uh, race at the, which is at yeah. yeah he 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 did which was uh yeah last week um or the week before last but the the, the hundred kilometers race I've been to it, it's a pretty intense day mm-hmm. um there's a lot of riders there because it's teams of two and there's a big grid so it's it's not exactly uh you know being invited to that doesn't exactly make you an academy member either yeah. if you know what i mean there's I mean, a lot yeah. of people there pedro costa so. was there yeah it's a the yeah, yeah, exactly exactly dirt bike race in in valentino rossi's ranch in tavoli yeah. the reason it the reason i picked up on that you know academy chat is i think we touched upon this when the move was confirmed and you know heading into the 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 postseason and the off season that it does feel like for this to completely succeed the the vr46 team is doing something different with his Gian antonio signing he's not homegrown but that he would need to be incorporated 
as much as ideally as much as they can because he does feel like a writer that it's he really does need the right environment to succeed and he needs to feel wanted and i i'm not saying this is not this is not happening but i i do wonder how that dynamic will play out and being you know sort of this first new generation of vr46 MotoGP rider who's not like I don't, I don't know how to use it. Not a made man, I guess. No, that's. I mean, yeah. they're Italian, so I shouldn't say that. But <laughs> not part of the family. Yeah, and you should be. You really, you really do want to be part of a family as a as a motorcycle rider. You do, and and I I don't really understand why he's never been until this point. Because you know th- there was a time when you would have thought that DJ would have made a made a perfect candidate for the academy, but it just never happened, did it? Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, at, while we say all that, obviously his first brush with VR46, the MotoGP team, and the, you know the GP23 in Valencia was quite positive. And when Simon, which which was you, that's just weird to refer to you in third person while I intro this segment, but when when Simon asked him how much work there is still to do in the two preseason tests that are coming up, this is this is what Fabio had to say. Well, if we start from, if we really restart with the feeling of Valencia, not, not that much, honestly. In Valencia, we, we were really, really fast. I'm not talking about the race, I'm talking about the, the test. Mm-hmm. In the test, we were uh, really strong and we, were, we, we went on with a big, big smile on the face. So I really hope to restart from there. Uh, if not, for sure, we, we can have, uh, I can easily say that we have all the knowledge from the team to, to retake that, that rhythm and that feeling, that flow to restart the season at, as it best. So that's quite positive, right? That sounds that sounds very chipper, yeah, and very enjoyably so. Because yeah. I I do have my concerns about, and look, he's not been in MotoGP for long enough to really form an opinion on like the ceiling of his performance and how he can access it and whatever, whatever. In 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 a sense, you could even almost count those first year and a half as something of a write off because of very specific circumstances. So I don't like to do that, but you could, and maybe down the line, that's how we'll feel about it. But it's it it is so hard to imagine him just picking up where he left off, right? Because where he left off felt illogical at the end of twenty twenty three for me anyway. It felt weird. He's he's done the one thing that will help him. The one thing that I think, or the two things that I think will help him pick up where he left off. One is obviously, and it's it's the obvious thing. It's the fact that he's jumping onto a bike that's really really sorted and it's going to be super fast, which we expect of Marco Pozzecchi as well. Um, it's it's a fairly standard thing whenever one of these guys gets the year old bike. The other thing is that he's done, did just done really well, um, for the second time in almost locking himself into a fantastic crew chief. Yeah. He he's come from he's come from Frank Frankie Carcetti, a guy who is an ex world champion, who comes super highly rated, uh, who's off to work with Mark Marquez next year and who, you know, everyone massively rates, to uh David Munoz, Valentino Rossi's last crew chief, and a guy who is, by all accounts, super, super intelligent, a guy who really, really knows his stuff. Um, arguably, who, if you speak to some people in the paddock, is considerably better a crew chief than Matteo Flamini on the other side of the garage, ah, who wow. is Valentino Rossi's ex-data engineer, and as such, doesn't have the same crew chief experience. Um, so, so he's really landed on his feet again in that regard. And I think if they, you know, I always remember uh, whenever Enea Bastianini had his, his great season at Grissini, mm-hmm. I always remember in preseason testing before it, uh, Paco Bagnaia almost jokingly complaining, but there was an element of seriousness to it about, of course, Bastianini is fastest. The only thing he's changed during testing is fuel and tires. And... If DJ can can really get his head down and work through, you know, just getting the bike dialed in at these next five days of testing before the start of the season, and then he goes to a circuit that he loves and has won at the last time we went there in the form of Qatar for the opening race, yeah. and the factory Ducatis are still maybe a little bit in the back foot because this massive new fairing upgrade that's supposedly coming in Sepang is going to take a little bit of time to dial in. Exactly. He can start the season really well, and... Let's be honest, if if Digia wins a MotoGP race 
and is on the podium three or four times and maybe wins a couple of sprint races and qualifies on pole once or twice, that's a super successful season. Yes, you know, for he's, sure. He's not going into the 24 season as a championship contender, but he can win races. And if he, you know, if he does, no one will be particularly surprised based on the way he, he ended last season. But unlike last season, those race winning chances this year are going to come at the start of the year. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, there's still, there's still going to be, I think, he's going to be afforded a bit of grace by the fact that I think for a lot of us, and for me personally, it is still a little bit hard to believe the transformation that happened in 2023. So you're almost like, the task isn't take the next step, it's more prove it. And I hope it does work out for him quite well with with uh, David Munoz. Um, you know, obviously Frankie Garcetti, great crew chief, but it, like, it didn't work for him at all with his first crew chief, uh, Donatello Giovinazzi who was new to MotoGP at that point. But Giovanotti then switched over to, to Alex Marquez and I think did a really reasonable job adapting a new rider to to Ducati. Clearly, like, Alex Marquez was always fast last season, just not producing the results, but he, he had the speed. So it's, I suspect a lot of it's always going to be a question of fit, which is also why I think about things like, you know, whether he's part of the academy, how much is he's going to be incorporated, how much he's going to be part of the family, blah, 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 etc. But anyway, yeah, that's the Digian Antonio corner <laughs> done with. Um, so the big question for VR36, as it is for Grishini, so as it is for MotoGP 2024, I would almost say, is we are hearing all this chat about a bigger step with the GP24 and, you know, how Ducati... Probably not egged on by Peko Bagna, but it is certainly something that he's expressed a hope for, how it plans to break away with its newer bike compared to its, you know, privateer teams. Not necessarily to leave them in the dust, but just to, you know, to make the bigger step and to reinforce itself against KTM and the, the new aero, obviously, and the, the engine and all that work. Now, and you've been asking, and other attendant media has been asking, and, and I have been asking uh, VR46 riders what they think about the potential of the GP24 relative to the GP23 and you'll hear now from both Marco Bezzecchi and Fabio Gigi Antonio and one of them is going to be more forthcoming than the other when it when it comes to this topic. We always talk at the beginning of the season that the guys with the older Ducatis have a bit of an advantage in the first few races could until be. the factory bikes catch up. Could be, could be, but I, I also uh, read uh, all the all the interviews from Gigi and the factory guys that they are bringing something new. So this makes you a bit uh, angry yeah. because <laughs> ah, maybe they have a, how do you say asso? They have a, an ace yeah. on their uh, sleeve, you know. So, but anyway, if, uh, we have to be focused on the on our project, on our um, our weapon. That I think we have a great weapon, and uh, for sure it has a lot of potential, as you you can easily see from Peko last year and Martin. So we just have to be focused on ourselves and, and work. You have tested the, uh, the GP23 in Valencia. You have seen the GP24 in Valencia. So how do you think that uh, that uh, the performance of uh, your team and the factory team will compare? I don't know honestly about the factory team. Uh, you have to ask to them, not to me. But uh, for for uh, for my my side, for my team, I'm sure that everyone will give. Uh, the best to, to try to perform in the better way possible. The bike, uh, we know that is competitive because we saw Peko from last year but, and Jorge, but also Zarco and all the factory riders in here as well. So that's it. <laughs> so, I mean, it's the kind of thing that you, you think about during the launch and maybe think about too much because the bikes haven't hit the track together in any meaningful competitive capacity. So when we'll see it, we'll know. But also... I probably do think too much about it because it's impossible for the GP24 to be much better than the GP23 because the season's over immediately if it is. I just, it, I, I don't see how it possibly could happen because Ducati, you know, even if they say it's going to be a bigger step, they don't make, they don't have the room to make like a half a second jump, do they? Otherwise, MotoGP's in so much trouble. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that any massive jump that comes this season, it's not going to come all at once. It's not going to come at the start of the season. Um, they might end the year on a better bike, but I think they've they've made 
maybe more substantial changes than they were initially letting on. Um, with the new engine, with more horsepower, with this new fairing that's still to come. You know, the, the, there has been work done. And traditionally, whenever we see work being done, it takes a while before you, you reap the benefits of that. Um, yeah, if they start the season on a bike that's already fast and competitive, we're all done for. Like, the, there's just... Yeah, of course. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be, well... A two-horse race plus Mark Marquez, maybe. Yeah, Mark, Mark, maybe. Because he's probably, the wild card yes. in all this, right? Yes. But he's also yeah. going to take some time to get up to speed, you would presume. So, I mean, yeah, it's hard to tell right now. It's going to be hard to tell until we see other manufacturers as well. Yeah. I think Yamaha's not a million miles away. KTM will obviously be trying to close the gap. Um Maybe I'm just being wildly optimistic to try and keep things interesting, but I don't think that's the case. I think that they're they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna have moved it forward a lot, a lot, a yeah. lot. But also, you know, if if they haven't, and that automatically, with the amount of good riders on Ducati's year old and new, that automatically basically guarantees a really good season for us. But all we can wait and see, and obviously we should not, as you say, discount the the other manufacturers and their capacity to make year on year leaps both with the new concession allowances, particularly for, for Yamaha and Honda, but also, you know, KTM and Aprilia obviously have pulled out some incredible gains year on year at, at, at certain parts of this last stretch of MotoGP. So why not again? But then again, by the same logic, why can't Ducati find uh, half a second with the GP24? Please don't. Uh, please don't please don't yeah (laughs) nothing against the guys on the gp24s but marco was would be thrilled if that's the case imagine he passed up a gp24 that's suddenly much better but yeah we'll we'll cross that bridge and if and when we get to it next up on your itinerary and you're flying to it shortly as soon as i let you go from this recording well no you go to sleep then you yeah then you, you fly. yeah i'm not gonna get to sleep for very long yeah. but yeah i'm 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 flying straight to los angeles from italy uh for the track house launch track house aprilia exciting times um don't really know what to expect don't really know what sort of bike we're gonna see don't really know who the sponsors are gonna be but uh yeah lots to find out and obviously once we do find out we will reconvene here exact same bat time exact same bat channel for a track house launch episode and I, some... I, I initially thought you said exact same bad time and i thought yeah 22 <laughs> at night when i've got no, a flight at 5 30 tomorrow morning is a pretty bad time you're right no, no this is <laughs> it's, it's 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 a reference to like the old batman tv yeah show i know 50s, i know yeah. i just misheard Wait, you. this is this I'd, is why I'd they don't let briefly me briefly agreed <laughs> This is why they only it's 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 a this red button they they do not press unless people just flat out aren't available unless no one else wants to host a podcast twenty two fifty three at night <laughs> and even then as as we've mentioned soon enough AI will take care of it so <laughs> so we'll fix this particular issue um, thank you everybody for tuning in and uh, see you next time for more MotoGP launch season. The Athletic.